You are now listening to The Open Canvas. Open Canvas, this is Taj Alexander. It's a beautiful day in Brooklyn. I'm here with a very special guest, but first of all, I want to say thank you um, for being open to having a conversation. My um, pleasure, my pleasure. Absolutely. Exactly. You're one of those types of people who are always looking to connect, um, always looking to highlight and showcase those in the creative community who are of value. I feel like you're always um, searching for the unique and original voices that have something to say. So, yes. I, so I see that, first of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, all the years of work that you have done, um, and also thank you for what you're going to do, um, because I feel like just from you know talking with you very briefly, but um, um, you have a very clear vision um, for what you see and, and how you see um, music should be valued, and, and the voices and the people that are creating it that should be um, recognized and, and appreciated for their art. So without any further ado, please introduce yourself. I am uh, Jerry Eastman. Uh, I'm the owner and uh, creator, curator, I should say, at the Williamsburg Music Center, which has been there since 1981. Uh, we, in the beginning, were a place that uh, was developed in order for composers and musicians to have a large ensemble. One of the things that uh, I was interested in after I got out of school was writing for a large ensemble and I knew that uh, none of the established orchestras or ensembles in New York or whatever were going to ever use us for anything because they hadn't in the last hundred years mm. used people of color. Mm. And um, so I started the organization as a not-for-profit 501c uh, in order because you have to have funding, you have to have resources in order to produce music. Mm. And uh, my vision was to become a not-for-profit and to uh, apply for whatever philanthropic organizations that would uh, fund, you know, young artists and to do things of this nature. And it worked out very well for me. And uh, at now we had for, we had sort of a standing orchestra for about 15 years called the Contemporary Composers Orchestra. We recorded several albums, had all kinds of great artists on there, you know, Andy Babe, Gina Carter, you know, Frank Foster helped us, uh, just Jimmy Owens, all kinds of people, you know. Yeah. We went along and, and now we're here today in a kind of a different capacity. Mm -hmm. And the reason that most of you are hearing about us, because I'm the only African American in Williamsburg, mm. <laughs> which it's very strange, strange thing. Yeah. Because I know of no uh, neighborhood anywhere in the world mm. where there aren't multiple people of color. Mm. And this particular neighborhood has become very non-minority. It used to be a very vibrant Hispanic, mostly Puerto Rican and black Americans. And um, today, sadly, there is one Nigerian gentleman named Moses that lives here and owns a building and me. Hmm. And to some degree, that's kind of made me some type of icon which mm. I don't 
think it deserves recognition because I'm the only one. Because, mm. but I think what interests most of you millennials is that I didn't sell it. Mm. Being offered ridiculous amounts of money because it's a corner building. But my intention is, at this point in my life, I'm not really trying to tour and travel as I did for like 40, 50 years. I'm kind of interested in sending a crop of really talented musicians and artists out there into the world and my place being a platform to do this because there really isn't a platform that says I'm here for these people. Mm. And a uh, little, little side story is that I have a 1,100 square foot space be below my club that is extremely beautiful and we really put a lot of effort into designing it. And it was a comedy club for a couple of years, about three years. And they left because they got very, very uh, busy and they wanted a bigger space. But they didn't realize that I had given them such a good price that mm. once they left that, <laughs> they weren't going to ever find another space bigger than 1,100 square feet. And they had to go back to Chicago. But I finished the space and it stayed empty for a year and a half mm. because I only wanted another black artist to use it. Right. And I finally found some young people that had the same type of vision I have and they've been open for about six months. So <clears throat> in a way, we consider Bedford and South Fifth the black corner. Yeah. Because it's black on all floors. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, they call themselves the seller. And I'm the WMC. And uh, we're both just highlighting exciting new things that mostly black Americans are doing because we need more than anything in, 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 in America uh, for the education of children, black children. We need organizations that will uh, teach and promote arts and crafts taught and manned by black people. This is my attempt to just have in the arts a place where we're concentrating on the, on the deficits that might be out there so that our young, bright, stars to become can have a place to do their thing yeah and that's right actually my introduction to the Williamsburg Music Center was through uh, an artist and musician that I actually am a friend of and had on the podcast as well Kia mm -hmm. um, and recently I you know went to see her perform at the Williamsburg Music Center mm -hmm. I live actually in Williamsburg as well and I just <laughs> walked down the street um, into the space and then I had an amazing time. Mm -hmm. I really feel like what you've created um, in the space um, not only you know just in regards to like you know putting on an event or putting on shows for people but really creating an atmosphere of like this is a space that's to be protected mm -hmm. and these people and these the the artists that walk through this door are of, of, of high um, quality mm -hmm. and I think you know the fact that you've set that tone um, makes the experience that much more enjoyable. I just remember even seeing the people who were also in the audience with me and us all just literally being in the zone of what was created. Right. Um, and, you know, you don't really find that much in New York City now, especially speaking for myself. Right. Um, I feel like, you know, those genuine moments 
um, are, are not as many. So when you do get those moments, you value them that much more. Right. Um, so just to you know speak on the night that I went, I really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that uh, that review. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I want to say to you know the the model that I've just recently uh, designed for the club is if it is if you're doing it do it better at the WMC. Mm. And this is an invitation to any, any hardworking artist of any type, spoken word, music, instrumentalist, you know, lyric writer. Come and talk to us, you know, just call me. I'll give you my personal number, 718-384-1654. I'm gonna give it to you one more time so you didn't have time <laughs> to get a pen. <laughs> All right, so I'm looking for interns and also uh, people to do internships, mini internships with us to develop and then have a big show that will present them. Mm -hmm. Now, the number again is 718-384-1654. And we are a completely equipped space. We have a backline of grand piano, Hammond organ, drums, amplifiers, PA. And then we also have a complete recording facility. We have a computerized computing system. We use cold microphones. Uh, we use uh, Norton uh, software. We also use Logic. And um, we can record anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of a live recording, it, whatever you sound like, that's what it, that's what you'll end up with. Amazing, amazing. Well, you know, yeah. so so we're, we're we're there for recordings. We're there for if you want to produce a concert, you want to you know album release party. You just if you just want to have a party, <laughs> you know what I mean. Anything that you can do in an art space, you can do a photo shoot. I just had brother from from uh, Chicago. He's a a new artist, TJ Chicago, he called himself. Just they just did a, a video in the space a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. it's 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 there for anything that you're doing, if you're doing it well. We yeah. just want you to be on top of your game. We're not a place necessarily for beginners, so to speak. But if you've 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 if your skills are developing, we will definitely help you. That's amazing. So, so that's where we're coming from. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I feel like people need to know that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I you know, have a couple questions just in regards to your personal journey. Mm -hmm. um, like you, you were saying, where, where were you born? I was born in the Bronx. Yeah. And uh, my parents moved up to Ithaca, New York sometime around 1950, maybe. Mm. And uh, I grew up there, went to college and high school there. And uh, I started playing the guitar around 12, 13, and uh, found out that that seemed like that might be my vocation and mm. stuck with it. Mm. Now, now, at that age, picking up the guitar, was it, you know, just picking it up on your own, or was it a family member? Was it church? Who, who, well, who brought uh, that into well uh, I used to come to New York all the time because my father lived in New York, my mother stayed in Ithaca. Yeah. And, there was a young man down the street that played the guitar that I met when I was about that age. And then there was another kid in my neighborhood 
who had a guitar. Mm. And I picked it up and they showed me one or two chords. And I said, oh, I can do this. <laughs> and somehow, and, and just messing around with them, I got better than them <laughs> Quick. On, on their guitar. Yeah. And uh, I told my mother that I wanted to play drums, and so she bought me a set of drums while I was playing the drums. Then I said, I think I really had wear that guitar. <laughs> and luckily, I had a mother that just said, okay, to keep this kid from doing dumb shit. If he wants, <laughs> if he wants something that's yeah. constructive, I'll just get it for him. Mm -hmm. And that's how that happened. And um, I just, all through high school, I was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was playing with a whole bunch of cats who were way older than me. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I was playing at the Elks for the dances, and then I was in local bands. And, yeah. Uh, I was playing somewhere. Now, in a, at this time, like music was being digested differently. Yes. And I think that's a very important point to make, because I think for a lot of us, it's like, oh, like, what do we grow up listening to on our like, <coughs> CD players or, or boomboxes? But at this time, you know, how were you taking in music? What were you listening to at that time? At, well, at about 12 years old, I, I, I became a member of a club called the um, a record, com um, record Company of America or something like that. Yeah. And you could buy albums from them for like two and three dollars. So Is it like out of the catalog? Yeah, or? yeah, they yeah, had a yeah. catalog. Record. It was called a Record Club of America. Nice. And I started buying jazz records mostly. Hmm. And but you have to remember, in the fifties and the early sixties, there was a thing called the Chitlin Circuit. Yeah. Chitlin Circuit meaning these were the clubs that only black people went to, and all of your great artists did the Chitlin Circuit. They would start in Florida, come up the East Coast, to, to Philadelphia, New York, go to Albany, Buffalo, then they would go to Chicago, then they would go to Kansas City, then it ended up in LA. And that was called the Chit Chitlin Circuit because it was all black clubs, all black artists. Mm. So as a kid, I would see James Brown in the clubs the size of this space, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, and you'd see Ray Charles maybe at a local college, and, and I saw Reza Franklin and Tina Turner on college campuses playing frat parties. <laughs> that's the way it was at that time, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing was that you would work at a club from Tuesday through Saturday. Mm. It'd be closed Sunday and Monday, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you were playing five, six nights a week. And when I was in high school, I kind of realized I was making as much money as my mother was making. Mm. So yeah. I was a little arrogant, so <laughs> in 11th grade, yeah. I got me an apartment, you know? <laughs> and that's another that's story. Another that's story. Yeah, we can't talk about what happened <laughs> in 11th and 12th grade. <laughs> But anyway, uh, it's amazing though. I mean, I feel like even at that time, that must have been such a special time to even, like you, you say these names now, like the people you were playing with or sort of seeing on these different, uh, in these different venues. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, was there a sense of like during this time that something profound was being created? Of course. It, okay. That's when Motown was coming along. That's when Stack Records were coming along. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and and that's when Miles Davis was king and Count Basie and all of that. So so uh, 
I knew I wanted to be a jazz musician and, uh, you know, I did my thing. Vietnam War came along, I did a couple of years over there, came back and uh, I was playing in the club and a college professor saw me playing and he asked me if I wanted to go to music school, so he walked me right into the music school, no wow. audition, no nothing. Wow. What but, was that like for you, just sort of that experience? At the time <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, that's nice, that's cool. <laughs> I didn't realize, mm. you know, people were auditioning, this was Ithaca College and Cornell University, people were auditioning for, you know, to get into school and mm -hmm. having to play. They just let me come in, okay, you can come, all you got to do is pay for it some <laughs> right. kind of way. Right, you don't right. have to audition, we already know you can play. Wow. wow. So. But uh, now you got to learn some classical music and you got to learn to really read well and this and that. And, and after I got done with that, I came to New York, went to Buffalo for a few years with my brother, Julius Eastman. He's a very famous classical composer. Mm. And we worked together and kind of integrated Buffalo because we were, again, the only blacks on the east side, yeah. <laughs> west side of Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. And here I find myself again right in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, the only black again. Yeah, that's amazing being like, we talked about Buffalo, I was right. born in Buffalo, yes. and sort of like, had my, my grandmother and grandfather at the time, they were living in Buffalo, mm -hmm. and you know, now, you know, sort of being here, um, you know, also in Williamsburg, it's, it's interesting, man. It's right. an interesting time we're living in. It's, um, yes, it certainly is. Yeah, so, so for yourself, like, um, you know, I, I don't even know where to start when we think about like your, your professional career in music. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, how would you say that developed, you know, after after high school and, and sort of moving on towards well, college? Well, after, after I went to school and got a little bit more education and more, more, more and, 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 and could do things better and, mm -hmm. and work on a professional level, I came to New York, started this Williamsburg Music Center and in, in around 81, you were saying? Yes. yes. And uh, I met people like Reggie Workman and Frank Foster, and I started working in Frank Foster's bands, and he eventually took me to play with Carl Basie, and I met everybody there. Wow. And... Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, it was nice because I actually filled up several passports mm. traveling around the world. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I, I think I feel like this whole conversation, I can keep saying, what was that like? Because everything you're saying yeah. is like profound. You even think at the time to right. be traveling that often, yes. that young. The only really good education is travel because mm. you get to see, smell, taste, and experience the people of where you're at. Right. And you can tell as a jazz artist, uh, the love that you receive is overwhelming because uh, we, a lot of other people play jazz, yeah. but we're the only ones that really play jazz. Yeah, and I know what you mean. You know what I mean? How, yeah. If you don't understand what I'm saying, yeah. then, then you don't understand <laughs> what I'm saying. And that's okay, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, it was, it, it, it was, very nice to be so welcomely welcomed into mm. many different countries and have people just treat you top shelf where all were, the where time. Were, where were some of your favorite countries to play or even just to live and experience? I'll tell you the most extraordinary story. <laughs> I was playing in Sicily mm. at, with a thing called the Harlem Review. And this, we had dancers like Cookie Cook and Buster Brown. These were the most legendary tap dancers in the world. And I was the bass player in the ensemble that 
provided the music for the dancers and all that stuff. And while in Sicily, the head of the mafia took us all out to dinner. <laughs> and uh, this, was, this was better than The Godfather, because this was a real guy. Now this guy walks in the room, he has about two or three guys walking with him. He's got on like a cashmere coat, all the going down to his ankles. Right, right. Like a, maybe a $5,000 cashmere coat. Real player. And uh, he lifts up his arms like he's on the cross, and one of the cats takes his hat off, one of the cats <laughs> takes off his coat, and he's, they pull a chair and he sits down. He doesn't speak any English, but he just has, and he's, we're in, in this really the best restaurant in Sicily. Mm. We have like a 15 course meal. Yeah. And I had my camera, so I took pictures of all of that. Wow. And, uh, and I'm sitting there at the time, and I'm, this is the head of the Sicilian mafia. It's like out of a movie. You know, this yeah. guy, you know, yeah. he's in charge of half of Brooklyn. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and the meal lasted about three or four hours. And he spoke to us through his interpreter, and we had a great time. And there was about 15 of us or so. Wow. And uh, that was one of the most interesting. Yeah. I've been a lot of places, you know, fairs, <laughs> Rome, and everything. But when you have taken out to dinner by the head of the Sicilian Mafia, <laughs> you have gotten into a good place. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's amazing. Just even hearing that story, I feel like there are probably so many moments just in life where you have these, like, you know, this is my life moment. Right. You know, like, mm -hmm. this is really happening. You right, know? right, and, right. And I think people may not even realize that that's the gift of music. I think right. music can sort of take us to so many different places mm -hmm. um, and also create so many different life experiences for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like, you know, musicians like yourself who um, sort of created music and are creating music in a time where, like, you see, you see what you're creating as valuable. Mm. And... Um, the music that you've created and the people that you're impacting through it, you know, it's, it's boundless, you know, and it's timeless. The, the things that were created um, in past years, we still appreciate mm -hmm. and can appreciate now for their true value now. Um, and that, that just goes to show, like, I feel like what you're saying is, is that much more impactful because, right. you know, these stories aren't just like, you know, normal everyday stories, but mm -hmm. because of music, yeah. you know, you have these life experiences now. Yes. Yeah. What, I, what I've learned uh, that there is no race or culture that music isn't paramount in their daily life. Mm. There is absolutely no human being that's not, music isn't part of his daily life. Right. So music is, it's, it's not like sushi or hamburgers. A lot of people don't like sushi, they don't eat sushi. And a lot of people don't like hamburgers, but everybody loves music. So when you're good at it, you, you get to be a lot of places where a lot of people who have resources and time take energy and time to come see what you do. So it's a beautiful thing in, in that way. And to think that people will buy airplane tickets and hotel rooms so that you can come do mm. what you do. Mm. That, to me, was the payoff for those 
thousands of hours of sitting in my room by myself practicing. Right. You know, so, so, and, and the other thing is for me, I came at the end of the golden age hmm. of jazz, so I got the chance to meet uh, almost everybody, Miles Davis, Dexter Gordon, yeah. you know, Art Blakey, yeah. and all, I met all these people, you know what I mean? And hmm. I was pretty young cat at the time yeah so so even that exchange of, of meeting these different peoples and, and playing with these different people mm -hmm. how, how was that experience saying that you sort of experienced that golden area era towards the end of it how was that for you uh actually it's like now because now i'm the old man in the room <laughs> and the young folks are coming to say yeah i went over to jerry's club you know? like, so it's just it's probably the same as you talking mm. to me the same as me talking to them mm. we we came before you and we're doing what we do and you're coming through getting a taste of it and and that's the only thing that's uh, a bit sad now is that music is a little bit jaded today. Uh, it's a little too commercial, and if you really can't work in any of the genres unless you embrace the commercial aspect of it, and that sometimes, but not always, means dumbing it down. And uh, that's the only thing that I, I don't see enough experimental black music. Like the young lady that you came to see at my place, mm -hmm. she had a whole different concept and this is one of the reasons why I'm going to have her as one of my mini interns. Yeah. Shout out to Kia. Yes. <laughs> so so, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for people who again, as I was speaking before, who have not necessarily, I don't want to say mastered your craft, mm. but are in pursuit of mastery, which means that you're not just going to go for the okey-doke. Right. And if a certain thing is on the radio today, you're going to play something that sounds like that. That's not quite what I'm looking for. I'm quite looking for the person that just has their own scope their own vision and I will give them an opportunity to develop it at, at, at our club. What I'm going to become is a place for developmental things to happen. Right. You know, and also which is very important to me is that people have a sense of doing business, getting butts in seats, understanding how to promote themselves, understanding the power of visual uh, advertising and also the power of electronic advertising because that's the only way that we can survive that's the only way I can keep my doors open is if you when you come as a participant know how to really generate an audience because a lot of people are very serious about the music but not about the music business mm. it's the music business your music can be phenomenal. If nobody hears it, you end up going back home. You, you, don't, you can't stay in New York without revenue. So one of our main goals is to teach people how to make a living at this craft. Right. You know what I mean? And I, uh, 
I, I invested most of my early, early income into buying these properties and uh, equipping them and making them look decent. That's where most of my early money went. And, uh, and, and, and one of the things that, that I'd like to help people do is to learn about the real estate business because it's a game. Right. And it's a game that you can play with or without money if you know the right things to say. And that's kind of that's kind of what I think my final, you know, contribution to the black community to be, well, let's learn how to do business and hold on to stuff because we're losing so much land and property every day, people selling out moving to North Carolina, selling these brownstones here in New York and yeah. not realizing that it's a bad deal. And there's a better way to do that. You, If you want to go down there to live and be less whatever, it's good. But there's a way to do it and not lose your property. Right. I think it's a, a sustainability is the word that I think that I want to use. Yeah. Uh, once you decide what you're going to do, you have to start and never stop. Mm. And I always tell people, in order to be happy in New York, one, you have to have sort of a I don't care, or to be more blunt, I don't give a fuck. Exactly. And the other thing is, you have to find a way to not worry when it looks like there's no money. You have to find a way to, to not let maybe not having your rent money stop you from working because hmm. it can be crippling when, when you have financial pressures. Somehow, if you have some, uh, if you have some, uh, I'd want to say religious affiliations, not necessarily, but a certain spiritual way of looking at the world, something always happens. If you're really serious about what you're doing and you keep doing it, somehow you have to believe that nothing bad is going to happen. And it usually doesn't. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, there is, there is a God. And if you give him some time, he might look out for you and just stay focused. But you have to develop a thick skin and you have to learn not to worry about money because it will come if your work is good. Believe me when I tell you that, even if your work is mediocre, <laughs> you can still get over it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, thank, thank you. I, I appreciate you know, even having this time to sort of talk, and I know we're going to close soon, but I just feel like I have so many other questions right. and things that we could talk about. Maybe we'll do a part two in the yeah. future when, when, it, when the time is right. Okay. What you're looking forward to creating, explain to, to the people, you know, what they can look forward to seeing. <clears throat> what you can look forward to seeing is the creme de la creme of young talent filtering through those doors because that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on those people who may be overlooked in other places because there's such a thing as being too good. Mm. You know, if you're too trained, you're too well, you're not, 
you're not commercial, you're this or that, you know what I mean? Mm. It's what I'm looking for is what I call the goose bump factor. The people who make your skin have goosebumps because or bring tears to your eyes. I'm looking for those people. I'm not looking for those people who can necessarily get thousands of tickets sold because they're really doing some really unimaginative kind of flaky, right? You know, sexes, but but uh, really just people who are studying and working very hard and may not be getting recognition, but and also those who I think are the next stars. That's what you're going to be seeing in the future at WMC. Plus the old guard, which is us, because we are the house band. Yeah. And we got we got the stuff for you. <laughs> so so that's it, man. Just come on down to the WMC again. If you're interested in anything that I've been talking about and you want to talk to me, 718-384-1654. Ask for Jerry. Thank you once again. Uh, I'm Taj Alexander. Um, this has been The Open Canvas with my good friend, Jerry Eastman. Thank you very much. Thank you. To find out more about The Open Canvas, hit up our website, theopencanvas.com. Also stay tuned to our Instagram, at The Open Canvas. And for any questions or inquiries, hit up my email, tajtaj.opencanvas at gmail.com. This has been The Open Canvas, produced by Taj Alexander.